Ahoy fellow wedding crashers! And welcome aboard the Joy of Trek, a fashion-forward podcast exploring the hungry jugglers and fire sculptors of Star Trek. All, All of, of it. it. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And holding the sacred chalice of Ricks is your chief engineer, Greg. Together we're on a mission through the lush settings of Star Trek to find the lesson in every mud bath and the excellence in every episode. Even the one-sided parental contracts. Because every episode must be someone's favourite and it might as well be ours. So ditch your boring responsibilities and join us as we strip down to... The, the Joy, Joy of, of Trek. Trek. Is that our first sort of perfect run-through? I think it might be. There's a yeah. little error in the script, like there was two thes, but I, I very professionally read over them. Oh yes, I didn't even notice them because that's what you do. Hey Kay, yes? um, this is canonically the first time that we've watched a second episode of one series oh, very, yes. so far. How did that feel for you? Ooh, ooh. Well, I mean, The Next Generation is probably the one that I've seen most of. I mean, right, same and here. Again, I've never really re-watched much Next Generation. Even back in the day when it was airing on TV. I mean, there wasn't that much in the way of reruns. No. I never, never really returned. I mean, the, the odd episode, you know, the good ones. The inner lights and stuff like those. Yeah, it, you don't tape over those. No, exactly. Yeah. And those are the ones that you're more likely to come up. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have any particular feelings on this matter it to me it sort of felt you know like Coming slipping home, into a nice warm, warm mud bath, bath. Yeah. yes exactly <laughs> we are mudding on solaris 4 of whatever the no it was like some weird the parallax colony oh yes yeah because today we're going to be talking about star trek the next generation season 5 episode 20 cost the- of living in which do you want to alternate sentences sure Waxana Troy comes to the Enterprise for her wedding, determined to marry a man chosen by a computer matchmaking system. <gasps> Diana is happy, but surprised that her mother won't follow Betazoid customs, leading to a disagreement. Meanwhile, Worf struggles with parenting his son, Alexander, who has trouble with responsibilities. Roxana befriends Alexander, taking him to the holodeck and encouraging his free spirit. However, Alexander's mother, Diana... Hey. And where, yeah, um, no. Quick note. So... Uh, yes, the, the synopsis is not quite right here. The synopsis is quite right, and I'm going to call out me because we decided to do this episode yesterday, yes. and that was after a Halloween party. And uh, so during, I think, but yes. <laughs> I, I may, in fact, have consulted ChatGPT to, oh, to so. do a little bit of my homework for me, a mistake that will not be repeated again. <laughs> oh, yeah, so uh, Alexander, so it would be... Diana, Diana worried, uh, well, Alexander's... Counselor, yes. Diana worries about the mixed messages. When the groom, Campio, accurate, arrives, he's not the perfect match, Roxana expected. She escapes with Alexander to the holodeck. At the wedding, Roxana follows Betasoid customs and arrives naked, which offends Campio, causing him to leave her at the altar. Roxana thanks Alexander for his help. And afterwards, the family relaxes in the holodeck and mud baths, and Roxana admits her mistakes with Campio. Worf is left confused and annoyed. <laughs> Okay, this episode is kind of special to me, and even though we'd originally said, let's do one from every yeah. Star Trek series, and we still have Prodigy and Lower Decks to go, because unlike Paramount, mm-hmm. we're not going to pretend that Star Trek Prodigy doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> or, Can it right, still be found, or is it one of those things that are disappearing for tax reasons? Uh, it was very much a disappearing for tax reasons thing, and like, yeah. it, the, hopefully the second season will actually be finished, because it was like recorded and almost completed production when it was decided to be disappeared. Yeah. 
Horrible practice, that. People are hoarding the physical media. Yeah. Uh, and we're hoping for a continuation because it was an excellent series. When I first con- like came up with this concept for this podcast and proposed yeah. it to you, I asked you, like, what's an episode that is lesser loved that you'd really like to re-examine? And that question really left me kind of baffled because I don't really... I didn't really... I, yeah, I really had to dig. And I, this episode really was the first one to jump to mind to me. When you said, like, well, yeah, not, not any of the good episodes, like not the first ones and not the renowned episode, but one of right, the uh, yeah. the ones that personally speak to you. And I, I don't understand, I can't tell you why, but this was the first one that just, like, popped into mind. I think it's because I like how basically Waxana does something here which she almost never does, and that's a little bit of introspectiveness and uh, self-reflection which is something that Luxana is not particularly well known for. Oh, that's interesting. Well, so I'm trying to think whether you're right or whether I'm going to argue with you, because I think very much about, like, these moments with Alexander, Mm -hmm. and also later with Odo when she comes to Deep Space Nine. Right. Where she shares so much about, like, what her experience is like. And so that might actually be the minority of her appearances. Yeah. But it really sort of... No, I wouldn't even say that it changed how I appreciated Luxana's character. I've always kind of loved her. Oh, yes. At a certain point, she's the one that you love to hate because I mean, she has a very overbearing personality. Let's put it like that. Uh, See, there's a certain, I think, sexism to that that terminology. You know, terminology like overbearing and domineering like is associated yeah. with women who exercise power and influence over the world. Right. Like, I'm not being nasty at you or anything. I don't really see the issue with that because, I mean, let's go to the opening season. It's like, sorry, not quite the opening shot because we'll get to it. But Oh, she, wait, she, do, she, do you want to the warp, the warp core, core first. I say we eject the warp core! There's not a lot of warp core dumping, mostly that, I think it's Geordi's line. According to the mass spectrometer, the elements in the residue have been broken down into simpler molecular structures. Molecular structures. I knew that you were going to, like, I'm just I, like I heard that. Yeah. So you're writing it down because, for those at home, <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson has taught us that elements are the building blocks of the universe. They are atoms. And right. from atoms, one can form molecules, molecules which yes. consist of multiple atoms. So when you take an element... You can't, like, break it down into individual molecules. I yeah, mean, because that's those not are how it works. Components, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that was the primary one. I don't think... There might be a few more, but I don't think there's... like that. that so that, scientific inaccuracy. No, yes. Also, yeah. I mean, they were really... They were cutting it really fine with that asteroid, you know? At the beginning. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, what just happens? Like, they're just kind of zooming by and go like, oh, hey, look at this asteroid here. It just happens to impact the planet in about 40 seconds. You're right, because the cold open is indeed, like, asteroid is in range, and Picard says, fire, and pew, and it's gone. And just, like, in 30 seconds, and the planet is saved. Phew. Yes. Completely not mentioned, no... Hello or thank you from anybody on the planet who might have asked him to come and help they're them out. They're not in with... communication, I noticed. No, it's just like something that they're like completely randomly, which of course is the MacGuffin for getting the uh, alien entity of the week on board. And that's my warp core. You're right. Why did we need this f***ing B-plot? I mean, I guess why most of the time you don't need a B-plot at all, I guess. Like, this is... It's because they need a B-plot. I mean, that's about the only thing that I can think of why you want a B-plot. Yes. Because the Uh, concept of this show is to have an A-plot and a B-plot, and sometimes even a C-plot. 
Well, in this case, we have that. We have Loaxana and her marriage, and we have Alexander and his problems with uh, with yes. Worf and, okay. and, and yeah. Indiana. Yeah, and then true. we have this this Peter Allen Fields, the writer of this episode. Oh yes, by the way, this uh, first aired April twentieth, nineteen ninety two. Oh, good yeah. I was eleven. Written by Peter Allen Fields and directed by Oh Winry Colbert. Um, um, I don't know. What do we know that name from? Well, I know it from a lot of really excellent episodes of Star Trek, including uh-huh. like Voyager. He did Caretaker. Okay. I think he and Kate Mulgrew, Catherine Janeway, were an item for a while. Peter Allen Fields, the writer, was bothered by the insertion of the Nitrium Parasite B story, considering it, to, consider yeah. it to be, quote, something one needed to have there rather than something that was an intrinsic part of the show. However, he was pleased when it was agreed to let the personal story take precedence. He noted, yeah. we don't want to do them all like that. This is a science fiction show and science is fun. But in this case, it was the personal story that was more important. Right. I deeply yeah. agree with that. I mean, I can understand that it would be very disappointing for the nerds of which I was one, to tune in and then find, like, nothing for them to enjoy. No techno right. babble yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. No spacey wacy stuff, but just purely a character-driven episode. And I was certainly one of those. But as I've gotten older and, like, appreciated, like, excellent acting and emotive character development a lot more, it's so transparent that peril is all manufactured on this show. Oh, They yes. aren't going to die. The no. ship isn't going to no. fall to pieces. And so I find it harder and harder to be excited by that or gripped by it. Yes, it just doesn't fucking matter. This is sh- no. We know there's that another it, show next week. Yep. I know that. We know that. Yeah. So it's already in the guide, and we know the fact that even here at the end of the episode, it's like, oh yes, like the ship is literally falling apart. You know, they had to like redirect warp power to the life support system because redirecting more power. Here we go. Sorry, a little bit more warp power breach here, which we're also about to come to, by the way. Oh yes. Because if if a system is failing because its elements have been transmuted into molecules uh, and it's therefore turned into goo, <laughs> routing more power to it is going to make it work better. Well, hold on. For life support. Also, the lithium chamber is down. Shields up. Thank you. That's after they've arrived at their destination. Yeah. So, no, but during the travel, they yeah. prioritized speed over right. their survival. Yeah. Now that we've arrived, yeah. we don't need the warp engines anymore, so reroute that back to life support. Uh, it might be that, that the problem was power, not the problem was broken in life support. Right. Yeah, fair. Yeah. But also, like, everyone is unconscious. Here's my other warp core. <laughs> yeah. What was happening, like, to everybody else? Like, why is nobody else... We, the main thing is, like, Loxana and her husband, who is super uptight, and, like, Alexander, right. they also all just passed out from heat and anoxia. Yep. And nobody's traumatized by it? Nobody's it's bothered like, in the life, slightest? That's life on a spaceship for you. <laughs> but yes, back to talking about why this episode. Because we officially were still in the opening. Also, when I originally brought this up, I forgot that it was an Alexander episode, which are traditionally not my favorite. Right. Because, like you said, the manufactured peril, I've always found the addition of Alexander as a character to be a little bit manufactured. It's like, oh, yes, let's give the tough big security chief something to, like, deal with his feelings, I suppose, or, like, the the character who's famously renowned for not having any feelings to... He'd be very bad at, like, analyzing and expressing them. And, yes, oh, like, here, surprise kid. I did love his parents, by the way, the Roshenkos. I always love yes. how, how they're like, oh, how's our little war oh, going? And like the, the Rush, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I always love those. The, the Roshenko know, episodes with those, I, I always uh, think are amusing. I think his dad is the same actor who played Susan Ivanova's uncle. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Who came to the family to sit Shiva with her when one of her family members oh, passed. Yeah. I think I'm going to get you to 
come around to Alexander one of these days because okay. I certainly have. Because here's yeah, so my warp core, my primary warp core is the total superfluousness of this science B plot, mm-hmm. which could have been interesting if it had some kind of like allegorical correlation to what's happening. Yeah. It's a little bit in the title. The cost of living is that, you know, you devour other things and, you know, they can have a oh, yeah. whatever. But it's in no way allegorical to what Loxana is going through. Whereas Loxana's experience and Alexander's experience are really, really similar and, oh, yes. and related. And this is how they found one another. Yeah. And why she has a lot to learn from him. I mean, I I have that written down because Loxana is able to admit to Alexander things that she isn't able to admit to herself. Like, that's essentially what this... Yeah, yeah, very good. What it it boils down to, I think, in this episode, the interaction between the two. She gets to see both sides of a particular kind of conflict and and realize that she is in in one position in one situation and uh, Alexander is in that same position. And as she's, like, consoling him or... Well, consoling him or... uh, trying to help him along in her own way. And he's doing the same for her. Oh, yeah. He has a line, we're going to get there. Oh, my God, we're just just (laughs) blasting through this episode now. He says that... All he cares about are rules. I'm supposed to do everything right all the time. I don't know how. He has these impulses to deal with. A lot of the world is new. He always feels like he's not doing things well enough. And I think that's really true for Loxana as well. Yes. Which is masked by that... There are better words than overbearing, but mm. yeah, like uh, uh, very present, like very leaning on her charisma. I'll, 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 get, I'll, I'll get back to why I think that overbearing is uh, all right. Uh, has appropriate, and because uh, like we're we're going to get there in a minute. All right. So let's let let's dive in. So we start after we have dealt with the asteroid situation, which caused the nitrous parasite to uh, be picked up. Yep. Uh, was it oh, nit- nitrile parasite? Nit- uh, nitrite or nitrium? Nitrium. Nitrium. A, a metal that doesn't exist. No. The captain comes up with a solution. He's the one who suggests... Activate a deflector dish. If we project a particle beam, we may be able to produce a disruptive nuclear effect within the core. Aye, sir. The captain, who's famously not a scientist... Yeah. And apparently nobody else on the bridge, like, has these bright ideas. But, oh, Patrick Stewart, he looks so amazing when he's standing around giving orders. Oh, oh, oh. But now we have a counselling session between Worf, Alexander and Troy. We watched the whole opening credits this yes, time. This is one of those did. one. Yes. Did you notice that the Star Trek The Next Generation logo has those sort of streaks this time? I think they only did that in season five. Oh, I know. I, now, the, I can see it on, 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 on the Gif, yes, but it did not occur to me that that was something that happened while we were watching it. Worf is having trouble parenting Alexander because basically Alexander won't do what he, as he's told all the time. Yeah. And uh, Alexander basically protests that what his father wants is unfair. Sounds like a fa- fairly typical parent-child problem, but yeah, it's certainly. exaggerated here because they have Worf being the, the, the strict warrior, you know, playing on yes. discipline, and Alexander being... I mean, Alexander's mother was... Kalar. Yes. Um, she was a full Klingon, right? So he... I think she was also half Klingon, She was actually. half Klingon, so... But, but she embraced her human side, and she was yes. nice and casual about yeah. it. So that makes Alexander three-quarters Klingon. Ethnically, if not perhaps culturally, uh-huh. although I think... Single, single blood, single drop theory. Oh, good grief! No, no, no. actually, I think Kalar. She was something like a. Yeah, she was an emissary, so she uh-huh. was kind of a go-between between the Federation and and, and Klingon cultures. So she was actually like way more Klingon, like mm. culturally, or more experienced with Klingon culture than than right. Worf was. Well, Worf has he's he's the typical you know orphan kid growing up trying to identify with his 
birth culture. Yeah. In many ways, which are like not necessarily always correct. It's just like his image of Klingon culture, what he can learn from basically TV and Wikipedia. Yeah. Which, <laughs> you know, which is an understandable experience. I mean, a lot of people have that with trying to make a connection with ancestral experience. Or, yeah. Uh, we talked about like the Scots American uh, right. perspective in, yes. in Sub Rosa. But in the case of an orphan, like he was as a child different from everyone else, from all the other children. Right, yes. He has some very traumatic memories of that, but he was always seen as a Klingon, something that he didn't know how to be. Yeah. And so it, it does kind of make sense that he would oh. reach for that. So, so they're, they're sitting on opposite sides of a wide pink couch. Everything's like pink and lavender and teal, and it's very, very sort of... Very calming, soothing colours for a councillor's office. Except... The There's these door. glass panels behind Alexander, yeah. and I, suppose, I know they're supposed to look like sort of soothing and artsy, but it looks like blood spatter dripping oh, down I like surgical curtains. Yes. I mean, you've, you've, you're just still in the mind of last night's Halloween party. <laughs> you had so much fake blood on you. <laughs> yes. How, how long did you have to scrub to get it all off? Actually, not as much as I thought it would be. Like, apparently once it was dried up, it came off really easy in the shower. Like, when, when I tried to wash it off my hands when it was still wet, it wouldn't go. Why? But after it dried up on my skin after the entire evening party, then after I got in the shower when I was home, it was gone in, in a matter of moments. You and your boyfriend made an excellent Tucker and Dale versus... <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> ...versus evil, and I really appreciate your boyfriend. I'd taken a chainsaw and replaced the chain with candy necklaces, yep. which was such a good <laughs> idea. Would you like to chew on my chainsaw blade? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you get the murder camp, as is the... I suppose, yes. The conceit of Tucker and Dale versus evil. It may be hard to imagine right now, but eventually most children come to appreciate their parents. Troy gets called in, like Riker calls her and is like, oh, your mother just arrived. On the other hand... You can see this exasperated on sigh the other almost. Hand. <laughs> yeah, and then again, not everybody does. So uh, I thought that there was, during this counselling session, before we quickly move on, like, they're both expressing their frustration with each other, the father and son. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if what... Diana proposes is actually like good advice because she said why don't you simply draw up a contract right and Alexander oh he's a future sort of anti-fascist rebel just like uh, yeah just like so he's like oh yeah look, we just write down what I have to do and he uh... he recognizes the power imbalance yes you mean he tells me what he wants and I have to do it where he finds an ally later on with uh... true although I mean I can see uh, Diana's point here because you know the power imbalance is there and is always going to be there. But as Troy says... You must make a list of your responsibilities too. And I think that's more like probably like bringing a little bit more... Uh, at least codifying a little bit more or making it more visible to Alexander the things that Worf does for him. That's for valid. For his benefit. So that's... And there's uh, certainly a chance that that's something that, that Alexander would respond to. But there's also a chance that that's just not something that's going to... No, true. ...work for them, you know. But, you know, I'm not a child psychologist, far from. And Luaxana has this amazing power move that she does, which is to yell over somebody else's combat to talk to whoever she wants to talk to right. without opening a channel herself. Because <laughs> she's I mean, in the she transporter does, room with Riker. Does, Diana, my dear, it's mother! I mean, she doesn't have a combat, and she has. she's famously uh, got trouble in communicating with the ship systems. And, like, okay, my headcanon is that because, like, the computer doesn't recognize that it's, like, someone else's voice. Yes, because it's, it's like, also made also, apparent. Yes. <laughs> That's what she's talking about. Oh, dear, I think your replica is having a, a nervous collapse. Oh. oh, and we have Karel Struiken, 
Mr. Ah, Hom, yes. also known as Lurch. Doesn't, from, uh, doesn't have a big role in this episode, just like standing a little bit and nodding and looming. I mean, Kate looming. Nods are fantastic. Yes. I think this is his last appearance on the show. Mum and daughter have a quick talk together where, I mean, it becomes painfully obvious that Roxana is going into not quite an arranged, well, it isn't arranged marriage, it's just like she arranged it herself. It's computer dating, right? It's kind online dating. This is yeah. 1992. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because you see Diana sort of sitting down like, whoa, you're getting married? And she's flabbergasted. And, oh, and you've Lux- never met him before? Roxana is super defensive. And Diana rightfully, yes. rightfully points out like, no, no. I only asked who he is and where you met him. Those are not unusual questions. Uh, yeah, Roxana's trying to breeze past it. Right, that's a good, that's a good experience. Yeah, she's, breeze past it. She is deeply insecure about this decision that she's made. Absolutely, yes. Right? And she just doesn't want to admit it. To anyone, she wants people to to join her in this fiction that she created around herself, which yes. is a magical solution to this feeling of loneliness. Mm. As she later confesses to Alexander, they're interrupted by Worf and Alexander, who have, are coming in there with a problem in writing up the contract, which is subsequently completely ignored. Yes, because it turns into Loxana sweeping off Alexander. I think. Yes. Does, does that already happen? As is, he calls her my little warrior. Well, she has a conversation with him, and she immediately takes his side. The boy is unreasonable. Well, of course he's unreasonable. He's a child. Which is a very valid Which point. Which is really valid. Like, wildness. I'm sitting here next to your, your kitty, Pip, who has been nicknamed the defendant for, <laughs> <laughs> for her endless transgressions. And, she, like, she is a wild little, little kitty. She needs oh, a yes. lot of exercise and stimulus and just go and do things. I have many, many scars on my back. Shoulders, ah, yes. legs, <laughs> because she is a rambunctious little kitten. Yeah, she my... likes to climb up my uh, everybody's trousers, shirts, whatever. Yeah, it's, uh... I'm just going to have to buy new jeans because these are going to be ripped and oh, that's not my wow. fashion. Chief Engineer Greg here. That's the same for my little gremlin void. But that's, that's totally okay because, yeah, when you're... I remember there was a television series called Legion. Mm-hmm. Based on the X Men, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Oh, here I was hoping we were going to turn this into a Legion podcast. I'm like, damn it! There's a fantastic speech at one point given by a parental figure to to their growing child. I, I think I know it almost by heart. He says, "When you were little, we let you be wild because wildness is important. Yeah. And then as you got older, we gave you structure because structure makes you feel safe. Yes. And that's the secret because when you feel safe as a child, you'll feel safe for the rest of your life. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Yeah. And so, like, that sort of respect for wildness, I don't see that coming from Diana. And Maxana even tries to point out to her all the criticisms that Diana has. You're not helping by giving him a lot of mixed messages. I exposed you to all sorts of mixed messages when you were that age. You still turned out deadly dull. She's, uh, she's not being very respectful to her daughter. No, but she never is. And she's, she has very little respectful to anybody. I mean, like, I mean, that kind of brings us to my earlier point here. Because yeah. we have a little walk and talk between Picard and Riker. Where Picard literally complains to Riker that I will not have that woman continuing to use this ship for her convenience simply because her daughter happens to be one of my officers, which he lets her do. Yeah, she might be the holder, the holder of the chalice of Reek, which is just a bit of an old dusty cup, if I rec- <laughs> as I recall that Diana <laughs> yeah. describing it in uh, at some point. But somehow she just like breezes in, and everybody just like caves. Like we we've got this multi-billion credit starship, which is just like, you know, oh yeah, I was going to go over here because this 
person that happens to be the mother of the ship's counselor needs a lift. Uh, it, it is lampshaded quite nicely, yeah. It, I mean, it is lampshaded beautifully by uh, Picard going like, well, if it allows me to give her away, Loxana Troy, then I'm in. You know, it's like, <laughs> which, which is like the, the redeeming you factor. But you it, see Riker smirking through oh, all R- this. Riker can't get good. the smile of his face the entire episode. He's like, well, that's what I mean with, with her uh, overbearing personality. It's like, yeah, she just like swoops in and everybody just like, does her bidding, even though it makes no sense. I mean, she is a person of renown. Uh, she, she has a diplomatic yeah. role. Does she? What's, what's her diplomatic role? Well, on Star Trek, Chief, doesn't Chief, Chief, very much. Chief, Chief Greg, can you tell us what the, the, the diplomatic role of Luxana Troy is? So Luxana Troy was simply just an ambassador for the planet Beta Z, particularly given that she was a daughter of the fifth house of Beta Z. That's just where her ambassadorship came from. Thanks, Chief. Yeah. Look, it doesn't matter how else you're going to... This is like Wagon Train in Space. This is how you write episodes. You have like 20 different entry points for new characters built into your show. Oh, true. Here's where I really sort of defend Loxana. Yes, she's a big person. I'm thinking now also about an episode that we definitely should watch sometime of Deep Space Nine, Mm -hmm. where she and Odo get stuck in a lift together. And she's... Oh, yes, I remember that one. Crazy for Odo. Yes. And he's like... giving a lot of spoilers for a 20-something-year-old show, Odo is deteriorating because he can't hold his shape for yes. uh, as long as he needs to, and he's very embarrassed about that. And she takes off her wig. Yes. Oh, yeah, wigs. I remember the episode. And yeah, and basically she holds out her dress and lets him, what he normally does in his bucket, which is turn into a pile of goo. Yeah. And she, she keeps him safe. So yes, no. But there's a, there's a very important thing that she says during that exchange, because Odo says, but your, your hair looks fine. Like, you don't need a wig. You have lovely hair. And she says, no. It looks ordinary. I've never cared to be ordinary. Yeah, very good point. Because I'm actually getting a little bit emotional thinking about this now, because, like, she's a lonely woman. She's uh, she's widowed for many years. She's lost a child, as we learn much later. Oh, yeah. Uh, Something that she didn't process very well. No, I mean, Uh, that's, like, kind of like her thing. And so she comes in here... Right, and she seems all overbearing, and she's like throwing herself at Captain Picard and just feeding off of his annoyance because, you know, as a kid or as an older person, any attention you can get is, you know, I, I worth guess, it. I, I guess that's like, yeah, she's still a little bit uh, in that phase. That, and I'm fully convinced that the days that she spends on the Enterprise are the highlight of her year. And she she writes about them in her journals, like <laughs> that she got to spend time with. And her my daughter, she's so busy because she's like she's got a very important job, and she's doing all these wonderful right. things with her education, and, which you won't which you won't acknowledge to the person in question. But, hey, yeah. that's <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, yes, we go to Alexander waiting in Troy's office when Waxwana barges in, wondering what he's doing here, and it turns out he's early for his appointment because he yeah, she thought he was being. Punished for something? Yes. No, it's just... no, it's just a regular appointment. But she coaxes out of him that he's... I wanted to leave before my father got back. And she just hugs him immediately. Yes. And she just shares affection with this child, for whom that's perfectly, like, welcome. It's something that is probably his father doesn't do enough. No, if at all. I mean, it's, Worf doesn't seem the, hu- the hugging type. Yeah, which is okay. You know, everybody enjoys different things. But yeah. as, a, as a child, I can certainly, like, I, I enjoyed my relatives. Like, I I come from a, a quite a ridiculous number of <laughs> formidable women and, and men with great senses of humor. And, yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed that closeness. 
And there's a well, really important I mean, bit that he says. Well, I mean, humor in your family, I, know, I mean, like, you know, it's... Don't... Okay, you have bleeped that out, Chief Greg, because you won't give away okay. the punchline to my uncle's 25-minute tractor joke. Yes, okay. Thank you for bleeping that out, Chief. <laughs> there's a moment where Alexander says that he hates his dad. Mm. I wish my mother were here. She died. And she doesn't contradict him. No. She just lets him have those emotions. Her response, it's not really fair, is it? Yeah, not and a lot is fair. But is she, like, I think I've got written down. It's like, Loxanne's already... It's so good. Uh, and again, that, that was earlier. It's like, like, that was the opening scene when she was talking to Troy. It's like, the, yeah. she's, all, she's already trying to hide her own feelings. And you can see that getting stronger and stronger during the episode. She's like... Yeah. And she, she, she has to kind of, like, uh, externalize those feelings through Alexander, you know, to confront them yeah, uh, to, uh, in, in herself. I think that's really valid. I think that's really valid. I think that's what's happening even in this scene. Like, when he's letting his emotion out, he's making her feel safe. Mm. That this is someone that she can talk to as well, because he's doing it. He's got yeah. that courage. Yeah. And she doesn't have to, like, project the way she does without her. But that's a really to, good idea. To uh, lighten the mood. I'll bet you've never been to a colony of free spirits. What do they do there? Huh, whatever they want. <laughs> whatever, what do they do? Whatever. don't quite fit other people's rules. Right. Yes. Personally. I come for the mud baths. I love that she she does this so often. She knocks to get the computer's attention, yes. <laughs> which is so great. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, a little knock on the panel. It's a little bit in line with not quite grasping the level of technology like Scotty famously did in uh, uh, the journey. Star Trek for the Voyage for, Home. Voyage Home, Hello, yes. computer. <laughs> ah, and then the guy points at the mouse and he picks it up. It goes like, like talks into the mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Just use the keyboard. Keyboard. How quaint. Quaint, yeah. <laughs> but yes, they uh, come to this holodeck simulation of this colony of free thinkers. They... The, the the wind spirit guardian who like see only those whose hearts are joyous may enter. That's really well done. Right. Yes. It's like a mime with uh, floating a floating head mime in a ball. Oh, in a wall. I had the I had the name written down for this person. I don't know if I can find it straight away. Oh yes, Larry Hankin. I know okay. that name. Chief. Where, where do we know Larry Hankin from? Oh boy. So Larry Hankin has been in a lot. He was in. Alf, he was in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. He was in Pretty Woman, Dragnet, Home Alone, Seinfeld, Mary with Children, Billy Madison. He was in Star Trek Voyager, Friends, Party of Five, Malcolm in the Middle, Monk. Most notably recently, he was in a couple of episodes of Breaking Bad as well as El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie as Old Joe. He has been in a ton of things working for decades. So... So there's a very good chance that you have seen him in at least something that Larry Hankin has done before. So he was not originally part of Principal Photography, filmed the scenes during the production of uh, Imaginary Friend, uh, a later episode. Because, yeah, his his job was, you know, blue screen. Yeah. Uh, and then being edited. And he's this very colorful, bald-headed, like Rubik's Cube patterned head in a, what looks like a spherical bubble, just flying around to delight and challenge people fantastic expressions and like holding his breath and making his squares change color yeah 
and a few other things. There's a fire, what, what's it called? A fire juggler? No, a fire... A fire sculptor. sculptor. That's it, yes. This alien woman, like, blowing fire, geometric shapes, and Roxana guides Alexander past them. You know, we mm. have a chat with her later on when we're done with our mud bath. Yes, and a juggler with a bit of a halo for ears, or ears for a halo, whatever you want oh, to choose. Oh, yes. He's got long, pointy ears that connect on the back of his head. Yes, a little bit like the Orville. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what that does. Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, it's easy if you want to grab him by the back of the head. But <laughs> yeah. Not enough aliens have antlers. Oh, good point. We are having guests for laughing hour. Would you care to join us? We'd love to. No, thank you. Yes. No. Why do you always say no when I say yes? I don't. You just did. There you go again. To me, that felt a little bit like the Monty Python sketch. Where it's like, I'd like to have some argument. All right, well, I can, I can do arguments. Would you, like, what, yeah. what would you like to talk about? And it's like, and he just basically contradicts everything that he yep. says. Like, you're, you're just saying, contradicting anything I say? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an argument. Yes, it is. And Alexander asks the juggler about these people. Like, Why are they arguing? They're friends. They love contradiction. They, they thrive on challenge. They flourish in conflict. Who else are you going to fight with? That's not a great lesson to learn. Well, no. But I do recognise a little bit of you and I in there. Like, I mean, we have... No, you we, don't. We have very long... We have very no, long we and very arguments uh, with each other. So there's, and we record about an hour and a half of them every week on this podcast. It is a lot of fun, though, isn't it? It is, it is. No, it isn't, is what you're supposed to say. No, sorry. <laughs> So this juggler, he's doing okay. What do you call this move that he's doing? That's a three-ball cascade. It's a fairly basic uh, juggling uh, move. Says, it's actually the basic juggling move. It looks great. I know. He's, uh, uh, you asked. <laughs> he's telling them about that they're his world, and he takes care of them, and he wouldn't drop them. He never really. drops them, no. They only fly where he directs. Uh, and this weird Diogenes-type guy shows oh, up. Oh, good pull. Who just, like, spouts some platitude, I suppose. Every moment requires a purpose. No, it doesn't. Every purpose requires a plan. The higher you are, the fewer joints you need to roll or something. <laughs> uh, something along those lines. I'm not entirely sure what, the, what, what point they're getting at here. But it's something that Alexander cottons onto immediately, and he just goes back to the arguing pair and proclaims that same thing right back out of them, which kind of leaves them standing there dumbfounded and Alexander walking off with, yes. smug, with a smug little grin on his face. <laughs> because Waxana immediately said, well, that's a conversation stopper if I ever heard one. And he takes that lesson. Yes. And she's so impressed with him. Like <laughs> the mind of a child that opens up and wisdom seeps in and you just, you want to see more, she identifies, yeah. than just conflict and battle, right? Yes. Uh, Even though she con continuously calls him my little warrior. It's a nickname that he seems to enjoy as a yeah. Klingon. And also, wait, oh, you have uncles and aunts, right? Yes. And people who fill similar roles in your childhood. Mm. Sometimes they pick names for you and oh. they just stick with them. Yeah. And it feels sort of magical and you're powerless against it. But it's also really... I don't think I've had a nickname from any no? of my uh, family. No. My Aunt Paula liked to uh, question my gender identity by oh, okay. calling me Nicolina, which oh, is wow. not a normal name, not a very variation. No, that is not a female name. version of Nicholas, no. Uh, and she also faced me with ontological paradoxes, like, are you, are you a bad boy or a good girl? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she just picked it. And that's, okay, that's, that's who I am to her now. And it gives you a sort of special yeah. connection to a relationship. Worf is tidying up 
after Alexander, grumbling over a yes, comparatively minor effort. Yes. But he has a very high standard for tidiness, does Worf. Um, and in walks Deanna. Isn't Alexander supposed to be with you? He didn't show up for his appointment. I assumed he must still be here. Oh, computer, where is Alexander? Alexander Roshenko is on holodeck too. Is he alone? He is with Waxana Troy. Ah, great. And see, this. there's some massive eye rolls in this episode. I really do. <laughs> Michael Dorn does a good eye roll. I mean, he, he doesn't, oh, yeah. can't hold a candle to... Um, oh, crikey, what's his name now? Anthony Simcoe. But... Uh, oh, well, yes. <laughs> Who played Darko on right, Farscape. Yes. <laughs> and all these free spirits are now sitting in the mud baths. Yes, they are crunching on edible cups. Yeah. And doing having light philosophical discussion. So, what is mud? Um, um, very fine sand and water, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not. Is there's no organic component to it? Well, basically Should not. Should imagine mulch. Mud is basically thin clay. And clay is silica particles in water. Oh, is make, it? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, 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 okay. I thought it was more I like... mean, mud is... I mean, traditionally, mud is like you can have a mud pool, which is like in the forest, which, yes, of course, there's loads of organic material in there because it's just soaked topsoil, which is like turned into mud. Right, but yeah. Like, for mud baths, I think it's like more of a uh, thin clay mixture, which you... Where you where oh, okay. So it's much I mean, less, that's, like, that's, yeah. unhygienic and parasite-laden than I was imagining. Oh, yeah, no, totally not. Because, like, some of them have clean hands with which they're holding their edible cups, and some of them... Have dirty hands, yes. Uh, ...have, well, dipped under the surface, but apparently yeah. it's fine. And Loxana has this really interesting philosophy that she shares with Alexander in the group, and it's about essentially, like, the, the Pixar film Inside Out. Yes. Every one of us has a thousand different kinds of, of little people inside of us. And some of them want to get out and be wild, and some want to be sad or happy or inventive or, or even just go dancing. That, that's why we all have so many different urges at different times. It's a really great way to explain to a younger person that, hey, we are not actually consistent. Yeah. And as adults, we try. We consider it a very high striving. And we sort of forget that it's not really true. Yes. And also a good way of, like, yeah, explaining emotions and how they can lead you to do different things. Yeah. And also the extremely sort of wise approach that you can benefit from these aspects, like Hmm. recognizing what they are. You're not just led by them. You can consult with them. A phrase that I learned several years ago that I really got value out of, which is like sometimes you have to feel what you need to feel. There are mm-hmm. things that you need to feel, and like denying those emotions doesn't help. So just, yeah, sometimes you just need to be sad for a while. Sometimes you just yeah. need to worry. And like it keeps haunting you because you don't actually complete the worrying that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Which, work, of course, work your way through it and uh, emerge out the other end. Yeah. Presuming that and, the circumstances in your brain when permit you that, to do when that. When it has course. passed through me, only I will remain. <laughs> as we're like throwing science fiction references in anyway, might as well get that one in there. Hell yeah, thank you. Uh, Time for the entertainment. Yes. A naked you- body painted woman dances for the amusement of a child in a mud bath and... Yeah. I love it. Sure, yes. It's awesome. She's... She's this, graceful, it's cool, there's this, so many colours. This witnessed by Troy and Worf, who have uh, entered the holodeck. Mm. Uh, Worf had a little interaction with the wind spirit, up to the point where he just basically pops its bubble and uh, yeah. wanders on. Rude! 
Well, murder, maybe. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's a holodeck, you know, that's permitted. You never see... Ooh, whoa, okay, yes. People, like, you know... We've seen some of his calisthenics exercises. That too. Also, you know, the 1930s speakeasy, like, oh, mobs- mobster... Dixon Hill, tri- yeah. Yeah, Dixon Hill things. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of Tommy gun shooting there and people getting done in. So, yeah, this seems to be, like, yeah, acceptable on the holodeck. Little one, Mr. Wolf... Come join us. And now she's back in one of her truly amazing outfits, snacking on some fruit and just really trying to avoid her daughter's questions. Yes. And the criticism that she's given, like, hey, we're... There's actually a problem in the relationship between... And I have a solution for it. I uh, have a plan. uh, And you're undermining it. Yeah. And this is actually my job. And you're going to go away. Mm. And I'm going to have to deal with this. And also... Anyway, why aren't you all absorbed in your wedding plans? It's only three days away. Yeah, oh, I'm letting Lurch to handle the... uh, Sorry, Mr. Holm. Uh, (laughs) Handle the drudgery of the affairs. I can completely understand this from Diana's point of view, because, like, she should be obsessed with this. Yeah, if this is... I mean, this kind of shows to Diana, I suppose, that her mom's not into the wed- as much into the wedding as she professes. That is, she's like, oh, yeah, she, sh- she should be obsessed with this and, like, dealing with every minute detail. But just the fact that right. she's letting Mr. Because she had a betazoid, like, quinceañera that, yeah. that her mother organized for a year and a half in advance. <laughs> oh, no, very cool. <laughs> yeah. Right? And she's just absolutely flabbergasted. Loxana orders some tea and gets a bit of a sausage party. You make everything into such a mystery. There is no mystery, Deanna. Except about this, this Petrochian sausage. Uh, She's covered in sausage. She still drinks the sausage water. Yes. It, does, it doesn't occur to her to reject it. because No. Oh, I wanted some... Okay, well... But this is the lead-in to the B-plot, which is the problem with the, the nitrile-eating entity. I don't care. Okay. I just hard, hard don't care. So you tell the audience <laughs> okay. about all this nonsense that doesn't need to be in there and right. that can just be completely skipped. Okay, so there's like, uh, basically, Geordie and Data go on a search through the ship. Uh, they keep finding... Uh, oh, they've got new outfits. Sorry, I'm back. I care again. They've got new outfits for uh, crawling they, they, through they, Jeff, yes, Jeffrey's tubes. Je- Jeffrey tube, like overalls that, that they kind of like throw on so that uh, presumably, I guess, they don't get dirty in the spotlessly clean Jeffrey tubes where I've never seen even a speck of dust which wouldn't put there by the prop department. I know. And uh, normally they don't bother to change before going into the no. tubes. They've got these... But like, there was like... I mean, it was, it was very clever because like we, we can definitely see the influence of the Nickelodeon channel on this uh, episode. <sighs> Well, the goo that's leaking from the... Oh! <laughs> Let's jump through this. So this okay, great, because I need a bathroom break. Oh, okay. No, you tell the audience what, whatever the... No, I'm Okay, I mean, I'm willing to give oh, it a please. shot. Really? Okay, okay, let's do this. All right, so during the time for a one bathroom break to tell you the B-plot, Data and Jordi basically go on a quest where they have to find out what's going on. They slowly managed to discover that uh, there is some sort of entity on board which is eating this one particular kind of metal out of every system, which is creating a cascading effect of systems slowly failing one by one, creating bigger and bigger problems on board the Enterprise. Notably what is one when they are in warp at some point and they notice that the inertial stabilizers start failing, to which my first thought was, like, Picard says, like, okay, let's drop out of warp. And I'm like, no, if the inertial stabilizers are failing, you don't really want to drop out of warp because if they fail at that exact moment, then, you know, everybody ends up like a fine mist on the, on the view screen. And, like, it's 
terrible bore to have to clean that up. But throughout several intermittent scenes, the pair managed to figure out... We believe the parasites came through the ship's hull after we destroyed the asteroid near Tessin 3. And that the only way to get rid of it is presumably... The parasites could possibly be lured back to the asteroids for a meal that's more appealing than we are. And thereby leaving it free to keep going. It's going to take five hours and 20 minutes or something to get there at uh, warp nine, which they eventually managed to slow down. More problems arrive. Jordi mentions that the warp core, uh, sorry, the warp core, the dilithium, dilithium chamber. chamber. Yes, I'm back. Uh, yes, he's back. I've actually been listening wow. with great interest because, th- <laughs> Kay, you're actually telling it like it's really exciting. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm really sorry. enjoying this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, manages to eventually, this is the scene we were referring to earlier, that everybody's basically passed out on board of the bridge. And Do you notice how everybody's got sweat stains except Data? Yes. Oh, very cool. Yes. Right? <laughs> Actually, I didn't notice that everybody had. I noticed that Picard had them, but uh, yep. and now that you mention it, I can see them on Riker as well. Reconfigure hydrogen plasma mixture to include 30% nitrium. Mixture complete. Which indeed causes the uh, alien entity to go to the asteroid. Where I'm thinking, like, if you just ha- why didn't they just set up, like, a containment field in one of the hangars, pump it full of nitrillium gas, and, like, try to get them to... Coalesce yeah. in that way, in that area, you know, and, and then like, sort of eject them out into space. Yeah, for instance, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just. A, I mean, because they couldn't like detect them; they can only monitor monitor them through the uh, the systems that the are system failing. That are failing. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, okay, back to the back so to now the that important all the part. Boring of the story. stuff is dealt with. Loxana's trying on a dress. And she's got a silver wig on to match the dress, which is not yes. very impressive with. And at home, he's got pins in held his, between his lips. And they're kind of like pearlescent or glowing even. They're gorgeous. And he's got this little dressmaker's uh, cushion on his wrist. Oh, uh, is that w- what it w- is? Yes, that's where you're traditionally supposed to keep the pins, but which even has them more, but he also has them in his mouth. And she's like, well, it's not very good, is it? Like Perhaps, um... If we lower the bodice. A little bit. And, and, and he looks. And, and no, no, that's not going to help. <laughs> Raise the hemline, then. Also checks looks, out. No, no again, also- nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Alexander shows up. Yeah, now he comes to, to visit her, and she's immediately delighted. Alexander! Oh, my little warrior. Come here. This is where she's able to really open up to him. Yes. I mean, he, he comes to apologize for getting into trouble, and she's like, oh, I don't get into trouble. <laughs> no. Well, she says, I wasn't really in any trouble. Yeah. She's had much worse fights with her daughter. Uh, oh. That she's, or she's, you know, incurred her daughter's displeasure to a, a far greater degree. So she takes him over to sit down and, like, explain... Like what marriage is, mm. you know, when you spend the rest of your life, yes. yeah, the whole life. And so, okay, there must be something, says Alexander. Well, if you're young and lucky, it'll be someone you like a lot, yes. Uh, she had that, like her husband, mm. a human Starfleet officer, yeah. uh, Mr. Troy. But if you get older, then your options dwindle, the pool gets smaller and like... Are you very old? And that really makes her think... Yeah. Yeah. You can, like, it's first, like, there's a little bit of outrage on her face as, like, how dare you ask that question? But then you can see some dawning realization. And uh, when you do get older and can no longer pick and choose from whatever may come your way. And she says, then you do what we call compromise and it keeps you from being afraid. And I'm actually choking up here because uh. here's the thing. When this was being filmed... This was two weeks after Major Roddenberry had buried her husband. Gene. Oh, sheesh. Um, Harsh. Well, there's, there's something kind of like... No. Uh, she's doing an, an amazingly 
very effective job here. Yeah. And there's, even though the lines aren't specifically about her life experience, her experience with Jean was was complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was what some might call a philanderer. Well, also maybe polyamorous to a certain degree. We never, never really spoke about like that degree of openness, but he had a brief sexual relationship with Nichelle Nichols. Mm which, to my memory of how the story was told, was quite consensual and reciprocal. But pardon me if that's not the case, Chief. So according to Nichelle Nichols' autobiography, yes, the affair was a consensual one. Thank you. Yep. But so, like, she's being really open about how this is her solution to being alone and, like, afraid and having, having someone around to actually care about her. Yeah, she is hugely attractive to someone who, like, she doesn't have her daughter around who cares about her because her daughter is off doing important things. As she's uh, specifically mentioned. She's attracted to men who don't really appreciate everything about her. Yeah. Right? She's, she's attracted to Picard. She's attracted to Odo, these fantastic, glorious men to whom she could add, like, her own life experience and yeah. wisdom, but they're not at, at times in their life where they... Want that? Unlike the minister who shortly arrives on board the Enterprise. How the f did they get matched? My dear, your compatibility profile doesn't do you justice. She, well, prob- she probably lied. She, I had that she written down. Lied. She for defo wrote down that she's, oh, daughter of the fifth house <laughs> yes. and daughter of the sacred chalice of Reeks. Exactly. Like, oh, I'm, very, I'm always doing galas, and when I'm not at a gala, I'm at a regatta. Ha 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 ha. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's completely right. She had lied on her profile, yeah. and she got a bad match. Oh, Loxana, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Just let, oh, here's the solution. That'll be my deleted scene, where at the end she realizes, okay, Okay, we're going back to computer dating, but I'm having Alexander write my profile for <laughs> and pick the photos. Can you imagine how happy she'd be? Yeah, that would be fantastic. I mean, it sure would be a hell of a lot more interesting for her. Right! The minister has brought his protocol master. Erko, whom she calls Jerko. We're not going to... And my escort, who need not be addressed in this company, protocol master Erko. Uh, who does interrupt briefly when she tries to kiss him as a, and like, no need to be this familiar at this time. And yes, he's at this point still looking forward to marrying her. Uh, Is this Shaddam the Fourth? Ooh, you mean from the David Lynch? Yeah. Could be. He's got a similar shape of head, but... Wait, no, that was Max von Sydow, and this is not Max von Sydow. Okay, I have no idea. It's like... Chief! Campio is not played by Jose Ferrer, who played Emperor Shaddam IV in David Lynch's Dune in 1984. Jose Ferrer actually had already passed away by the time of this filming, like, very recently. So this is actually played by Tony Jay, who... I would personally say is most well known for me at least as Frollo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the only Disney villain whose villain song is Damn I'm Horny. Thanks. I, I can't wait to listen back to this episode and find out <laughs> what, whether what, what, that was okay. It, it's so frustrating that we have to wait so long. so long before we hear the actual answer. But hey, whenever we do, we always really appreciate it. Uh, I also recognize Jerko. Yeah. I recognize him. Chief, who's he? So Erko is played by Patrick Cronin, who was a character actor in a number of things. Rocky V, Hill Street Blues, Days of Our Lives, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. He was in Seinfeld, Home Improvement. He had a very heavy presence in the 90s, and he definitely has one of those faces that's just very recognizable. However, I can't seem to find anything that really stands out to me. It's like, oh yes, that's exactly who he is. God, we really have to sort of write in my calendar to really listen to this episode because I just can't wait to find out. 
you know, hey, this is one of the rare episodes where Picard offers to shake someone's hand. Oh, He doesn't right. do it very often. And, and it immediately gets ignored, basically. That's the only reason. I mean, I'm kind of surprised, actually, that he, if this is the, the not, not their custom, yeah. that he actually offered to shake his hand, that he didn't do his research. It's like, how do we greet these? And if it is, yeah. I mean, if he did do his research, then it's like a bit of a, a slight from the ambassador, who, although he does bow. Yes, the uh, ambassador bows. Which suggests that, like, Picard didn't do his homework. Yeah. <laughs> There was a case where a, a, a Dutch minister, uh, a woman, offered to shake the hand of a Muslim imam, mm. which he declined. Yeah. And, like, there was a bit of a kerfuffle about that, but, like, it, you know, for a, a practitioner of, of Islam, it would be improper for unmarried and unrelated men and women to touch. Yeah. And so I think he responded by bowing. Yes. But, like, that's a case, hey, you've actually just put somebody else in a really uncomfortable position right. where they can either disrespect you and, like, contradict their Or their compromise own their own, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, a bow always works, right? Usually, like, yes. Everywhere on earth, yeah. even in places where, like, eye contact, ooh, it's not always appreciated everywhere. No, true. Meanwhile, Alexander and Worf are having a little bit of a kerfuffle because Alexander is having his laughing hour, which amounts to him shouting, ha! Every 15 seconds. I found it very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Like, That's, I mean, as does Worf. Ha! That is enough, please. He's bullying his dad. Pretty much. Right? He's, he's using mean, this power. As, as kids do. So let's see how we can annoy them. Do you notice that the batleth melted and turned into gelatin in the background? Something oh. I never noticed before until we watched it just now. Yeah, you've, oh, it starts you... with, a, with a shot of the oh, batleth yes. on the wall and it's a dripping goo. Right. Yes. No, I hadn't seen that. But Worf's trying to sit him down and have the dinner and he's like, I promised to meet Mrs. Troy for another lesson in happy wisdom. Ha! And there's like, yeah, like, well. Yeah, but- it's your dinner hour. Yes. Oh, so should a warrior break his word? Yes. No, it's like, no, on. you shouldn't. Okay, by the no, you're not, et cetera. You also shouldn't give your word about something that you're not right. able to yes. uh, to commit to. When I watched this, uh, there was a children's book for parents yeah. narrated by Samuel L. Jackson in the audiobook version called Go the F*** to, to Sleep. Yes. Yeah. Which has a sequel, which is Just F***ing Eat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Much in the way that I've seen you pick up the defendant and confront her with the fact that, ah, food exists and is a thing that you, especially you, who is so active and rambunctious, you need to eat. And she oh, yeah, 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 that exists. And yeah. Until she gets distracted again. And she gets a little sniff and then it's, uh, but yeah. Um, what are they eating? Like, that's a nice plate of food. There seems to be a lot more vegetables than... Yes, one of the Brussels sprouts kind of gets Worf's ire at the end as it gets squished between his fingers. Yes. When Alexander runs away. Yes, to go see Loxana, who is having a nuptial arrangements with Calippo or whatever his name was. Campio. Campio. It's a very Italian name, isn't it? Hmm, yeah. It sounds very... It sounds Italian to our ears. Yes. With what we're familiar with. She immediately gets, allows herself to get distracted by Alexander, much to uh, Campio's chagrin. Surely there'll be uh, other occasions for you to spend time with the boy. And even more to the chagrin of his ceremonial master. Minister, the woman should not be addressing you in the familiar. And her daughter. Mother, we've come for Alexander. Please forgive the intrusion. And, and Alexander's Worf, father. Yes. It is Alexander's dinner hour. Everybody shows up and... This quartet of people just yelling at her and disapproving of her. And she's, and she's doing her very best to keep everyone happy while still doing what she wants to do. Right. She's basically flaunting everybody's authority here. Uh, oh, flouting. flouting. That's the word sorry, you're yes. looking for. Flouting, yes. Yeah, flaunting is showing off and right, flouting yes, is sorry. disregarding. Right, yes. no, well, no, sorry. You know, this is the 
sort of Klingon word of the day, essentially. Basically, Ooh, I wonder if flout's in the dictionary. <laughs> Basically gets them arguing amongst each other and sneaks off with Alexander. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> Troy eventually goes like, um, I think the subject of our talks has disappeared. She is, of course, the first person to notice her, this because she's watched her mother pull this particular power <laughs> yeah. move many times. I wonder if she's ever done it herself because it is an excellent power move. It is. Just like get everybody arguing and uh, because, yes, like the master of ceremony says like, no, this must be st- spoken about now. And she's like, well, OK, we'll just be half an hour then. It's like, you really don't understand what now means, do you? Yeah. <laughs> this is something that probably children can relate to a mm. lot. Because you you have, as a child, like desires that are not just as a child, but sometimes you just have desires that you absolutely do not want to compromise. Mm. And you want the entire world to adapt to it, to figure out some way that nobody's mad at you, but you can still do this thing that you want the most right now. Because we have these little people inside us and they have incredibly powerful needs. And the defendant sitting next to me right now, sometimes she just needs to hunt. Yeah, and if it's not going to be a toy, then it's going to be K. It's going to be your My pen. Fingers, yes. <laughs> while you're trying to write in this episode, <laughs> yes. I, and I watched her sort of sitting next to you, watching the backside of your pen. Just <laughs> oh, I'm gonna nibble you. To the minister's credit, he gives Luxon a lot of leeway here. He's willing to accommodate her much further than his minister of ceremony yes. uh, 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 would have normally allowed. But in the end, yeah, she just runs off, and they end up uh, back in the holodeck. Where there's a, a scene that I actually find really tragic because yeah. they, they they find the juggler who's sad and he doesn't have his balls anymore. No, because he ate them. He caught one in his mouth and it tasted good, so he ate it. And yes. then he had everything's gone, and he says, "If you ever have a world, plan ahead. Don't eat it." And Alexander laughs, and this is horrifying. It is, but I think I mean to be honest, I think this is just the holodeck trying to like put a little life's lesson here in this. This is not a real person. It's a holodeck creation. It's probably based yeah. on a real person. It might be. But it's like, but yeah. wouldn't the response be like compassion or commiseration with someone who's just super sad? I suppose. Rather than laughing at it, which is what Laksana and... Uh, uh, during my uh, student days, one of the uh, people at the library wrote, like, we, we had this little book that like people just wrote nonsense in, and one of the other uh, librarians uh, wrote a little uh, poem in there, which was like, oh, uh, it's a little bit relevant to this situation. It was like, All right. yesterday my goldfish died. It happened somewhere late last night. I was looking for a midnight snack, but now I want my goldfish back. Oh! <laughs> is, your, is your college friend a cat, by any chance? Uh, he might have turned out. Like, <laughs> Alexander tries to give her some advice. Yeah. Now, maybe it's time to let one of those people, little people out. And, and she goes like, like oh, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. And he apologizes, and she realizes, like, oh, I've just done something absolutely terrible. I've just shut... I just shut down someone who, who was reaching out it to me. He was trying, actually trying to help, yes. And she hugs him, and then she noticed that the hologram is failing. Yes, the holodeck is starting to drool apart. And the juggler starts juggling behind her, even though he doesn't have any balls anymore. Yes, he's just like imaginary juggling. And she takes him by the hand and says, let's, okay, uh, let's, let's, let's Something's up, on. yeah. Let's... I mean, that's, that's something that you always have to give her. Like, whenever it comes down to the, the rubber meets the road, then Loxana is, like, not one to dawdle. And yeah, she'll try to, like, avoid it as long as possible. But when, when it becomes serious, then it has to happen. Yeah. 
Okay, more You're blight. Right. More, really... more B plots. Yeah, the B plot's completely unimportant. <laughs> There's a, something in the elevator. They make it to the wherever. Lights go off, and people are starting to sweat. And who cares? Yes, the alien asteroid. entity is returned Ooh. to the asteroid, and after emergency repairs have been made, and everybody wakes up again. It is time for the wedding. Nobody's dead. Of course not. Because we you need them you... next time round, and they've got long-term contracts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on a, on a ship with. Over a thousand people, including like multiple hospitals and childcare facilities and like aliens and whatever. And we just subject them all to anoxia and the extremely fit people on the bridge all wake up <laughs> about the same time. Yeah. And everybody else is equally fine. Well, they, they wake no up. No precautions after, needed. They wake up after uh, life support is more or less, more power is returned back to life support and like the systems can like, you know, okay, that makes sense. I, I'm not a doctor. No. Not anymore. Not since the incident. <laughs> Some might say I've never been a doctor, but I think that's a very limited view of yeah. what a doctor can be. But like in anesthesiology, the reason that it's its own discipline is it's really hard to get oh, totally. people unconscious without, without killing getting them, them dead. Yeah. Because there's awake, 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 and then just a little bit of unconscious based on like body weight and metabolism and, and oxygenation. And, and then after that, yeah, it's pretty bad news. Yeah. So like, where's... You know, the, the thing that, like, consultation with Beverly yeah. to ensure that the patients are properly oxygenated. And right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that, like, even a, sh- a ship like the Enterprise, which has such modern equipment, that they don't have, like, oxygen candles or, you know, lithium sc- uh, canisters for emergency scrubbing. Or, right. Like, put the bloody bridge crew in a spacesuit, which has its own oxygen supply for, Give like... Give breather. Exactly, yeah. That's all you really need. Even but, if you only uh, have five, five bridge crew, yeah, let's give them to five well, Let's bri- give one to engineering as well. <laughs> uh, oh, no, Jordy's on the bridge. Right. Yeah, yeah but, for some reason. Yeah. But yeah, everybody's fine. Nobody's worried about the fact that they lost consciousness for several hours and, and we're in terrible danger. Now we're just we're like a boring wedding. Well, there's some nice decorations. Well, there's like the problem is like Loxana is late for her own wedding. You think she'd at least get to her own wedding on time? Campio is uh, marching up and down. He's got some fun sort of wrinkles on his Did forehead. He, has and- he actually changed his outfit? Or is he oh, like good still, question. Is he still wearing the same outfit that he was wearing when he got Scrolling on board? Scrolling through yeah. the sheaves. Same I here. think not. Oh, he doesn't... It really takes a while before he shows up. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's like, he's, I mean, he's not really an important character. He's Nobody like, really cares. It is the same outfit. It is the same outfit. So he just wow. arrived on board in his wedding outfit. Or, yeah. So it, he's... It might just be He's Leia Organa. Hey, Star Wars reference for our buddy Chief out there. He's yeah. Leia Organa to her uh, Padme Amidala. Okay, yeah. Like, who I remember like- Carrie Fisher when she saw Star Wars Episode One, which on which she was, by the way, a script doctor. She oh, a, okay. Yeah. Had quite a career, like, punching up other people's scripts. Uh-huh. And she was just so envious that uh, Natalie Portman, she gets a new hairstyle every time to walk through scene. a door. <laughs> yeah, and I had to look through the same buns for the entire... Uh, God, so envious. Yeah. All right, you had to mention Star Wars in costumes, and I'm a cosplayer, so I have to say this. So I counted up every single version of Leia's outfits that were on screen, including animated stuff, as well as Padme's stuff, including animated stuff. Leia had 15 distinct outfits throughout. Padme had 40. It is not even close. <laughs> so, yeah, I can kind of understand if you're Carrie Fisher being like, damn, look at all the cool shit she gets to wear. And finally, she does show up, and she's taken Alexander's advice. 
Like, she's let out one of those little people inside her. Yeah, and she's decided, like, I'm not going to compromise on this one thing. This is like, I'm going to do this wedding Bethesda style. And I love the... Before we even see that she's in the nude, which I don't know that we knew that that was a Betazoid wedding tradition before this episode. Ooh, good question. I mean, we know it now, right? Yeah. But- well, I mean, like we, we know it like from earlier on in the episode when D- uh, Diana exclaims, "You're not going to be naked at your own wedding? A wedding like, dress? <laughs> yeah, it's like what? <laughs> Shock and affront. It's <laughs> which I really appreciate. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me of like Rom and his mother Moogie in Family Business in Deep Space yeah. Nine. Right? He was also like, "You're going to get dressed, but the, oh yes, get dressed in the house. Yeah." Uh, but yes, no. The the the, the big the, the best one is Mr. Holmes' like little approving grin and nod when yeah. when, the, when we hear the door opening, and Worf and Picard are a bit shocked. Data takes everything in stride. Deanna, she's 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 quite proud of her mother now. I think yes. You can, and Alexander is delighted. There's a little bit of shock on her on, on Deanna's face. Worf is looking somewhat disapproving. There's Riker and Beverly. Yes. Uh, Beverly is just kind of like flabbergasted. As if she didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, okay, so this is what we're doing. And Riker's like, yeah, I knew all about this. Yeah. I, I dated a Betazoid for quite a while. Yeah. I was, well, we never got married, but I kind of really, really wanted to. Yeah. And then there's, like, what's his name? Clark? Just which, which, which one? George. There's someone behind Beverly. Oh, um... Just a, a red-shirted person, not in dress uniform, I don't think. And he's just kind of got a a very neutral stare. Like, it's not creepy. I can't even make a joke about it. No. But he's just, capital A, capital T, also there. Okay, yeah. I can't make a... a... Oh, Campio does have a slightly different outfit. He has a sort of wrap around his chest, oh, like that, a bandolier that that's... that wasn't there before, okay. Jericho yeah. calls it infamous. Yes. Minister... Minister, this is infamous, infamous. We must leave immediately. And <laughs> shields to Campio's eyes. eyes yes, the- like he hasn't been getting an eyeful for the last 20 seconds at this point, but, you know. But- and maybe learning something new about, like, Betazoid anatomy that we didn't oh, know. Oh, yes. Who knows? That third her, breast was a surprise, her, her but a welcome one. <laughs> Sorry, I walked over that with my pretty, pretty mediocre breast and third breast joke. But let's have your joke, like, in a completely clean recording. Please say the word that you just said. I said her octopusoir. There we go. <laughs> uh, where's that? Do we know where that's a reference from? Ooh, I actually don't. Ah, uh, drawn together. Oh, <laughs> oh, the animated series. Yes. Her bridegroom departs and smiling at, uh, yeah, Deanna smiling as well. Oh, yes. And Loxana just gives a shrug. I think this is even, hey, she's not wearing a wig. I think this is her hair. Oh, uh, Loxana? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Uh, and she's wearing comparatively modest makeup. Oh, but I, but I, mean, I, I can assume that, like, if there's no wedding dress, then there's no wedding wig or allowed exactly. either. It seems like a this-is-how-you-are moment, if, uh, as far as I can get it in Betazoid uh, culture. Yeah, like, like Adam and Eve in the right. garden. Yeah. Like, total innocence. You know, the difference between being naked and being nude. Like, yeah. nude is just you don't have any clothes on. Yeah. Naked is you should have clothes on right now. <laughs> yes. Cuts to the holodeck again, where it is now Diana still with her hair done up in... Uh, sorry, now she has done her hair up. Roxana, yes. Yeah, Roxana, she's, nice she's wearing a head pin. Diana has also still got her wedding hair going. It's Diana. Diana, sorry. Yeah. Diana. 
I know, uh, I know. Diana is a name that we're yeah, familiar so with. Yeah, I guess I'm... Uh, she's like She's got her like massive hair, beehive style almost, with curls coming down all the way to the mud. Yeah, you want to keep it out of the mud. Nipples are strategically below the mud on everybody. Even I mean, Alexander. when you're having a mud bath, you kind of want it... Blo- oh, you mean for television sets? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Worf isn't even showing any sort of shoulder cleavage. No, he's like all the way down. It's like it's almost like a head laying laying on the... Uh, yeah, he could take like, over for the wind dancer. He, he looks like he's decapitated here or something. He's like... He no idea why they perfectly have... still because there's not a fleck of mud on his beard. No, the the makeup department must have had a field day with these, with these scenes. Uh, and she she thanks Alexander. I wanted to teach you how to grab the joys of living. And you turned around and uh, and taught me to not let go of them. I'm very mutual. And Deanna says, well, hey, this is where we find out that she's actually there. Yeah. We still have to learn how to live in the mm. real world, all of us. Mm. And she exceeds, but she says no, only when necessary. Absolutely, absolutely necessary. <laughs> and Worf gets to close with one of the funniest lines he's ever said. You're just supposed to sit here. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and scene, yes. Okay, so before we get to our deleted scenes, uh-huh. I've got to ask, how, how do you feel about Alexander now? Oof. I mean, I'm going to challenge you with like a few. Yeah. We we've seen him because you you talked about him being a, a sort of a manufactured challenge for Worf. Right? Yes. And, you know, this is how television is written. It's certainly mm-hmm. true. But now we see like an entire episode being carried by him and Loxana, and how he's serving as like a mirror, but also like an unbiased mediator, right? Who's able to hear conflicts that adults have mm-hmm. and reflect on them without the sort of baggage that we have and actually come up with what seems like a much more reasonable solution, which is, well, yeah. hey... I mean, from the, from the mouth of happen. babes, as they say. Right. It's, uh, and I believe the thing that's supposed to come from them is truth, which is, uh, well, there's a lot of, yeah, the, I mean, adults tend to, like, you know, put things more circumspect ways and, like, beat about the bush, and especially in Loxana's case, like, not admit to her own feelings and emotions, or at least yeah. not, not weigh them properly even such a question like are you very old and she, uh, uh, yeah. you know and she feels old right uh, old, whatever old yes. is but she, she has to confront that oh yeah this is actually something that i feel and that i worry about mm. whether i am very old yes he gives people who are open to it permission to to really reflect on themselves yes the character itself holds little appeal to mm-hmm. me but it's like i definitely have to say that in this episode the the character was well used right yeah i I don't know for sure, but I think that's true for a lot of uh, uh, Alexander episodes, mm-hmm. which maybe we'll uh, we'll get more uh, into. We already know your deleted scene. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> what was it again? What did I, I say? Can't remember. <laughs> like I, was, I was hoping you did. I was hoping you did. <laughs> oh, actually, no, no, no. I'm going to change my mind. There's a deleted scene that I that I want. You know, as as dismissive as I was about the, the, the science fiction B-plot, that's not fair because this is how, like, Star Trek The Next Generation works. This is mm-hmm. what people tune into. It's what, yeah. it's what they want and should be there. But I would have loved it if there was, let me see, a deleted scene where something was learned about these parasites that made them allegorical. Yes, I think that's what I told right. about. To what Alexander and Loxana were talking about, that right. they could have informed one another rather than being so separate and a bit of peril that nobody needs. Do you know this episode won two Emmys, by the way? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. 
one of only four episodes of Star Trek to have won this many for outstanding individual achievement in costume design. Oh, yeah. yeah. Earned by Robert Blackman, who's the costume designer, Mm -hmm. and for makeup in the series. Okay, yeah. I mean, yes. Was also nominated for uh, hairstyling. Oh, well, yes. There was a lot of big hair going on. All right, so deleted scenes. Let's see. What's your deleted scene? I kind of would have... No, no, I was going to say I'd like a scene with Picard and Loxana, but that would just mean more Loxana refusing to listen to anything that Picard has to say and just like she doing really her own. She hasn't paid any attention to him. No, she was like clearly not on. Uh, I mean, she was like going to find a different husband rather than. Oh I mean, my she, god! Oh, there, there could have been an episode, could have been a scene where it's like she comes to Picard moaning about the ambassador and how formal he is. And after she first meets him, she goes like has tea with Jean Luc. She complains about how stiff and uptight he is, and if he perhaps and he he starts to offering her diplomatic advice in how to deal in the culture with him. And she tries to make turns in and tries to make a pass at uh, Picard instead. It's like well, well, you know, I would I would drop I would drop him in an instant if you were to like take uh, uh, marry me instead. You know, it's like something along those lines. So that's my delay. Scene. <laughs> and it, oh, so how does Picard react? Does he roll his eyes or does he go, Waxana, come oh, on. Oh, how does, he, how does he react to that? No, I think that would be have to have to be a saved by the bell situation oh, where, yeah. where, where, the, where the B-plot uh, rises its ugly head again. <laughs> oh, I've changed my mind again. In an unusual move, I've got a contradictory deleted scene. Okay. Do you know how sometimes they film like completely contradictory plots? Oh, right, and, just, and we'll decide later in the cutting room which, how we're gonna, which way we're going to go, yeah? Which is Picard, like conspicuously going to 10 forwards to order a cup of tea and just sitting around like, well, I hope Roxana doesn't just suddenly un- come in here and annoy me. And then she f***ing <laughs> doesn't. And he's just sitting there. Okay. And, she, and, he she can't makes- en- and he can't enjoy his tea because he's waiting for the other shoe to drop in and uh, like her oh, to bite on it. It gets worse. Like she, he checks in with, with Riker and like, okay, are you sure that she hasn't accessed my public record agenda so that she can sort of... And he's just increasingly frustrated that she's not coming to bother him because, <laughs> yeah, uh, wait, I want to send you away. I don't want you, but you do have to pay attention to me. <laughs> Very good, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so. Well, uh, Alexander. Yes? I'm leaving Starfleet. Energize. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this week's episode with your friends Kay and Kaki, production and editing by Chief Engineer Greg, and music by Fox Amore. Join us next time for Prodigy Season 1, Episode 8, Time Amok. You can visit us at joyoftrek.com slash links to send us your recommendations, support us on Patreon, or to find us on Blue Sky, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to The Joy of Trek, and we'll see you out there.